You are listening to The Dan Patrick Show on Fox Sports Radio. Let's decide how this works uh, on this show today. But uh, on fumes right now. Seton and myself are uh, on fumes for for different reasons. We're on fumes today, but uh, we had a great time, or so we were told last night. But uh, gang's all here, ready to go on this Friday. Brady Quinn will join us on loan from Fox Sports. We'll uh, recap college football or get you ready for college football. Recap last night with the Packers. Vince Vaughn, Mr. Chicago himself. Uh, Vince will join us coming up a little bit later on. And the former Bear wide receiver Tommy Waddle, who worked for ESPN 1000 here in Chicago, will stop by as well. Play of the day, poll question, stat of the day. McLovin has the honors with a uh, poll question as well. Wonderful night last night. The Danettes got all dressed up. You would have been so <laughs> proud of them. But I will say that when we got to the airport, if you've seen the movie Coming to America, where Eddie Murphy and Arsenio Hall, they dress up, try to dress up as New Yorkers. Well, Seton and I are at the airport, and Todd comes in, and he's got everything Chicago on. He had his uh, Chicago Blackhawks uh, hoodie on. He had a Chicago Cubs hat on. All free stuff, by the way. I don't know if you had anything else Chicago-related, Todd, but uh, you walked on the plane, and everybody thought... Boy, that guy's trying really hard to act like he's from Chicago. Yeah, I look like I just got off the boat. I had the Cubs hat on, the Black Hawk sweatshirt. Yeah. If I had other Chicago-related stuff, I probably would have worn that as well. And, uh, yes, yeah, You know what's funny about events like last night, too? That when we go to them uh, and you meet all of these people, they're always like, wow, look at you guys. You guys can clean up. <laughs> and it's like, how are we presenting ourselves on TV? Are we really that sloppy that people are like, hey, look, at you got a tie on, huh, big guy? Like, and, what the heck? Yeah, 43 and, years old. And Seton and I got to the airport and we looked around for Todd and then they were starting to board. And I go, is it a better story if Todd makes it or does it make the uh, the, the flight? So we were ready to get on, and I didn't see Fritzy, and I thought, oh, my God, Todd is going to miss the flight to Chicago. Were you rooting for that? Uh, was I rooting for that? <laughs> yes, I was. Wow. Yeah. Oh, it's honest. No, no, I, I thought respect it, that. No, it's all about content. I thought it would have been a, a, a better story there. You don't know me by now? Like, I, I'm usually sitting there like four hours before boarding. There's no way I would have missed the flight, especially a night like last night. Yeah, but Seton and I looked around. We didn't see you. Normally, we can, we can find you pretty easily normally, yeah. uh, and then it wasn't until I was boarding the plane and I saw this guy clearly going to Chicago based on the way he's dressed. Todd looked like a guy who lost all his clothing and went shopping at a gift shop at O'Hare Airport. Hey, there's a Chicago Blitz jersey. Uh, it was a great night last night. My family surprised me. Uh, my children flew in. Um, Will Farrell, by the way, gave the introduction to my <laughs> Hall of Fame speech. And uh, this is what it sounded like. Now, we, since we're not on TV today, just radio, we'll post the video. You'll be able to see Will Farrell. But this is what it sounded last night before I gave my Hall of Fame speech. Hi there. I um, I am extremely honored uh, to speak on behalf of my dear, 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 dear friend, Dan Patrick, as we commemorate his induction into the Radio Hall of Fame. Um, Dan, I'm, I'm so proud of you. I, I told myself I wouldn't get emotional, and uh, I'm not. <clears throat> but I just know that when you... <laughs> I just know that when you started out in your business, your one goal 
was to get into the Radio Hall of Fame. And gosh darn it. <laughs> Hold on, let me compose myself. <laughs> gosh darn it. You did it, Dad. It's the Radio Hall of Fame. And no one can ever take that away from you. No one. And no one thought you could do it. No, so many people would stop you on the street and tell you, you're never going to make it into the Radio Hall of Fame. Well, guess who's laughing last? You. I'm so embarrassed. Hold on one second. <laughs> I'm so proud of you, Dad. Uh. I'm so proud of you. Congratulations. <laughs> now, Will will tilt his camera down when he said he's trying to compose himself. So he pours water on his face to make it seem like he's crying and you know the tears are flowing as the camera comes back up when he does it for me but uh oh, he crushed it it was great and uh people there loved it that uh they were surprised that you know when you have somebody introduce you whether it was you know somebody close to you or family member or whoever and i just asked will farrell it's like uh hey would you introduce me and he said how much time do i get and i go two minutes and he went 147 and I said, you went 147. He goes, I didn't have 13 more seconds to say anything good about you. And I go, okay, 147 it is. But uh, my thanks to Will Farrell, who uh, did a wonderful job with that. Yes, McClellan. Okay, I don't want to go negative. Oh. Well, it's just, it was an unbelievable night. There were so many rounds of applause. And there was a huge introduction to the Danettes. Uh, oh. Basically, this is what happened last night. Jack, the intern, would get uh, a you know a shout out from somebody getting inducted, and the whole place would go crazy with applause. Yeah. Then Todd Fritz, Stephen O'Connor, Paul Pass, and Andrew Perloff were introduced, and it is silent. Yes, I heard is. a fork drop like <laughs> three <laughs> tables away. I know, I know, and and I I felt bad, but there was nothing I could do. Like there was no applause sign where they would clap for you. You could have cheered. You could have clapped. You didn't clap. I looked. Nobody was clapping. I, I, Me and Todd were the only two people in the whole room clapping we, for ourselves. We had to clap for ourselves. I we know we you started did. doing like a, a crowd mover. I know. I know. I, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I, you know, I think we think we're big, but we're not. And yes, Eden. Right, because like Andrew said, like somebody else would be up there, you know, like I don't know, Kim Commando would be like, and Stacy posting everything to Instagram. Thank you so much. Yeah, yeah please wait not. And hey, all right, how about uh, the Danettes? And, and, and that's what it sounded like. <laughs> it did. Completely it silent. Did. This isn't being exaggerated for radio to the point where I was at the table and after about five or six seconds, I go, thank you for the thunder ovation. <laughs> and the whole table broke up. <laughs> I know. I know. I tried. I, I did. I, I felt bad, but it, it kind of, and I said, oh, you know, I'd never be here without the Danettes and you guys, you know, you made radio fun again. And it sounded just like that. <sighs> Nobody said anything, did anything. Nobody applauded. I felt bad. They went nuts. You mentioned some program director from 30 years ago in Dayton, and they were like, yeah, yeah, go Bill. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Go Bill. <laughs> like, yeah, classic rock that rocks, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah I know. <laughs> Sorry.
I'm sorry. Hey, you know what? The night wasn't about us, Dan. It no, was about you. Yes, it was. Completely. Yes, it was. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Almost Tom. entirely. Yes, they, they were even applauding like call letters of stations, the WPXO in Des Moines. Like they were getting <laughs> I was just letters of I a know, radio station. I know. Tallahassee's light rock. And, you know, the Danettes had great seats. They were right up front. So everybody could see them, and then everybody could see that nobody was applauding for them as they looked around the room. Yeah, Paulie. We had a table, and we knew most of the people at the table. Then Seat and I are on one side, Fritzy and uh, McLovin are on the other, and there was a buffer seat between us. Like, oh, we got a buffer seat. And then this guy came in and sat down. He was about five foot eleven. I would say he's maybe like two hundred and fifteen pounds. He was mostly bald. And he had a gray suit on. It was like we had an understudy for Fritzy in case something went bad. That was bad. like the exact description of <laughs> like, like a stunt double. Like it a, was. if Fritzy get, yeah. goes down, yeah. a, like a yeah. seat filler, unless you had to go to the bathroom. Exact description of me, except I'm, I was shorter and way more than yeah. the guy that was sitting next to Yes, yes. If, if you weren't able to make it today, that guy would have stepped in in your place, Tom. But, and, he was, and he was trying to be funny at the table, like making like an I would, like I would, and also getting like no reaction from anybody at the table. Uh, this program brought to you by Breeders' Cup. From every corner of the globe, they come. The best thoroughbreds from around the world. One goal in mind, the title of world champ. Visit breederscup.com slash 2021. More information. Catch all the action November 5th and 6th only on NBC. We were watching bits and pieces of the Packers and Cardinals last night uh, because the ceremony was going on. If we went to the bar, then we would try to watch on our phone. And I only saw at the very end with the interception. But we'll recap that with Brady Quinn. Uh, he'll join us coming up. Here's Aaron Rodgers after the win last night. I was texting with some friends today, and I said, uh, I love when the odds are stacked against us. I feel like we kind of just takes all the pressure off, and, and we just relaxed and played really loose. When the Packers took a quarterback in the 2020 draft, everybody thought that the franchise was doing Aaron Rodgers a disservice because we thought they would draft and they needed to draft wide receivers. The problem with that theory is Rodgers keeps winning no matter who he's throwing to. So last night he doesn't have Devontae Adams, doesn't have Marquez Valdez-Scantling or Alan Lazard. They had receivers nobody had ever heard of except for Randall Cobb. Top target was his running back, Aaron Jones. But once again, Rodgers found a way to win, beating the Cardinals. And not that it was easy, because they got lucky with the late interception. And once again, it proves how brilliant Rodgers is. And the game plan, really, as well. Because they ran the ball. And Rodgers took advantage when he could. I, it seems like everything's good with Aaron Rodgers in Green Bay. And the front office. And maybe they're issues are gone but for now the Packers rolling Rodgers is happy they have a good nine days before they face the Kansas City Chiefs but that's a big win last night you don't have your two best receivers you don't have two of your starting offensive linemen and you beat an undefeated Cardinals team now it feels like this is more about the Cardinals aren't who we thought they were instead of giving the Packers credit because it's not a good story if you give the Packers credit but, you know, everybody has injuries. Cardinals had injuries. But A.J. Green ran the wrong route. Now, that's plain and simple. That's what happened. Here is uh, Kyler Murray on what happened with the interception inside the final minute. I know he's hot. You know, um, emotions run high. Obviously, after the fact, it's, you know, we both know we weren't on the same page. And uh, it cost us. But, you know, we'll be better because of it. You know, I like what he said there because A.J. Green clearly, I, I think they checked at the line of scrimmage from what I'm reading and changed the play because if you watch A.J. Green, it looks like he's blocking. 
or he's not involved, doesn't think he's going to be involved in the play, instead of kind of boxing out the defensive back and he would have made the game-winning touchdown. Or, you know, worst-case scenario, he's able to knock the ball down, they kick the field goal, and we go into overtime. But it's a big win for the Packers, but, you know, they got a tough schedule coming up because you got Kansas City, you got the Vikings, you got Seattle, Russell Wilson will be back with Seattle, and then... I think you have the Rams after that. Is that right, Nick Levin? Yeah, it goes at Kansas City, Seattle, which you think Russ will be back for that. It's November 14th. Yes. And then at Minnesota, Rams, by Bears at Ravens. All right. What's the poll question we're going to go with today? So I already put it up. Okay. Because we want to catch Paul Paps in a lie right here. Whoa, 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 whoa. The okay. question is, would you rather be a Hall of Fame quarterback, All right. like, I don't know, Dan Fouch or Warren Moon, or a Super Bowl-winning quarterback like, say, Jim McMahon or Joe Flacco. So this is off your Hall of Fame induction. Okay. Of course, you're a Hall oh, of Famer. Okay, yes, you, you don't have a Super Bowl ring. You've handed out many. I've, I've handed out the trophy. So uh, who do you think wins? I, I, all of us go Hall of Fame except for Paul. I, you know, I know what McLovin's saying. If you're a Hall of Famer, you're a football legend, and you have kind of immortality. Yeah. But if you have a Super Bowl ring, you have immortality in a town. Joe Flacco in Baltimore can never pay for a drink again. He's all good. Jim McMahon, I mean, we all know what Jim McMahon... Yeah, but, but walks what, what if Joe Flacco doesn't live in Baltimore? Like, then it doesn't really matter if he lives in Jersey. I have a tough time not picking a Super Bowl ring. And I'm probably, maybe I'm being okay. not altruistic, but I, I think that's what I go with. Super Bowl. You're the Hall of Famer. Um... Yeah. Do we call you the Hoff now? No, I, you know, I thought about it and some people were calling me that last night and, uh, you know, it was, it was a little uncomfortable. You know how Jim Nance always says, Sir Nick Faldo. I don't want that. I mean, you can, but I'd prefer you didn't, you know, just like Dan. Dan is good or boss. Hoff Patrick. Hoff. No. You know, like uh, uh, Joe Buck always introduces the Hall of Famer Troy Aikman yeah. oh. next to him. Maybe we go, oh, well, now we're here's Hall of Famer Dan Patrick. Okay. You know what? Maybe Bob, who does our uh, voiceover stuff, could say, and now here's your Hall of Famer, Dan Patrick. I mean, we can, but uh, it seems a little pretentious. Should we change the name of the show? Ooh, ooh. Like the Dan Patrick show hosted by Hall of Famer Dan, Dan Patrick? Patrick? Yeah, get your name in twice. That's mm, Hall of Fame. That is Hall of Fame yeah. as... Yeah. All get out. <laughs> What's better, Hall of Famer or Sir or something? Being sir. sir is pretty good. Yeah, but it's no. Nah, I don't want to be Sir. You don't want to be, I, I don't, don't want to be knighted. I don't I, know if you've been in discussions no, with the royal not. family. No, I have not. No, they got other things to worry about. Taking your name out of the consideration. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. <laughs> yes, I am. Sir Dan Patrick sounds great, though. Yeah. Yeah. Got it. No, I mean, it's nice, but no, I. You know, I'm just a regular, normal guy. Midwest roots. You know, corn. Corn-fed good looks. That's it. Todd, go get me some coffee, please. I'll be right there. Okay, thank you. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. He's Brady Quinn, who joins us on loan from Fox Sports, Fox Sports Radio, co-host of Two Pros and a Cup of Joe, along with LeVar Arrington and Jonas Knox. And uh, you can catch them weekdays, 6 till 9 a.m. Eastern, which uh, leads right into our show. Brady joins us from East Lansing, the Fox Big Noon kickoff between Michigan and Michigan State, which we'll get to coming up in a moment. Brady, thanks for joining us. Uh, let me go back to the uh, last play for the Cardinals last night with Kyler Murray and A.J. Green. How does it work when you go to the line of scrimmage if you have maybe two plays? It felt like maybe they changed the play and A.J. Green 
you know, thought he wasn't involved in the play. How does that work with that miscommunication? Well, here's what I'll start off by saying is, you know, usually if you have two plays called, everyone's aware of it, and so they're looking for, given the look from the defense, and especially the way the Packers are playing down the stretch, they're looking for that look that's going to get you to the second play, right? And in that case, it would have been that very look that you saw, meaning an all-out blitz. You know, some people call it blitz zero. I've been in a defensive system that called it cover nine. But whatever you want to call it, an all-out blitz would trigger that sort of response because it seemed like, look, Arizona wanted to run the football, to work time off the clock, to be in a position to not give Aaron Rodgers any time if they ended up kicking a field goal. But in that instance, what I'm guessing happened was Cliff Kingsbury gave Kyler Murray or gives Kyler Murray the ability to off of a run play like that if you get a look simply look out to your receiver and give him a back shoulder fade, a slant, any sort of route like that. And Kyler Murray gave him that, thinking that you know he's going to have the ability to win a one-on-one matchup versus Rasul Douglas, but clearly didn't appear to be looking for the football at all. It was a perfect throw, perfect placement. The only thing missing was, was the execution of communicating to the receiver what route he has. Um, so disappointing these sorts of things happen uh the reality is that's that's the little small kind of details that make the difference between winning and losing in the nfl okay but when you go to the line of scrimmage do you give aj green a look or a signal or a word that he knows i like that you got man coverage and you're taller than him and it's a back shoulder fade or whatever it's going to be because if aj green turns around worst case scenario he knocks the ball down Exactly. No, it could be any one of those three. You know, it could literally be, you know, you're walking the line of scrimmage, you give him some sort of gesture, a signal. You know, I remember calling some Arizona Cardinals games when Kyler Murray had first got there. And one of the things he said to me, I'll never forget this, we're at a production meeting, and he's like, yeah, everyone needs to get up on my level. And I was like, taken back by this, because, you know, I'm not really knowing Kyler that much outside of his one year starting at Oklahoma. But all he was saying was he knew, knows this offense. You know, he was with Cliff Kingsbury back when they were the college days together. So he understood the verbiage. He had a really strong understanding of what Cliff wanted from it. Mm. And he was basically just saying, yeah, everyone's trying to get up to my speed on what we're trying to do every single play. And this is an instance where you're working to a player who just got there this offseason. You don't have time to develop the sort of nonverbal communication where when the game's on the line in the heat of the battle, you know, you could just look out there. You know, I had that sort of relationship with, you know, receivers or players, what was that, Notre Dame with Jeff Samarja or a guy like Braylon Edwards, you know, when I got to Cleveland, you know, you just develop that sort of rapport over a couple of years where you just look and you both are kind of making eye contact and saying, yeah, I see what you see here. And when you're on the same page of what's going to happen, clearly that chemistry is not there yet, but it could be anything from a hand signal. It could be a verbal, something that you would say, or it just could be a look. And, and that's where it gets a little bit dicey where sometimes you catch eyes with a guy and, and you're not saying anything. You're not communicating anything else. It's just the look. And you think he's seeing what you see, but in this instance, he didn't. Prior to the interception, Kyler Murray, 26 for 41 in the red zone this season. 12 touchdowns, no interceptions. Last time he threw an interception in the red zone, week 16 last season against the 49ers. Talking to Brady Quinn from uh, Fox Sports. Also, after the game, Kyler Murray... You know, he kind of took the blame or he didn't lay blame on A.J. Green. Uh, How tough is that as a quarterback when you didn't make the mistake, but you're the leader and you sort of have to share the blame? 
That is, uh, I think, for most quarterbacks, uh, honestly, probably uh, one of the most, uh, I don't want to say rewarding or fulfilling things, but it's, it's being in the position to be the leader and being someone who has the thick skin who can say, yeah, you can put it on me. You know, I used to tell wide receivers in the NFL, I don't care if the ball hit them right in between the numbers. I'd always say to them, because, look, they know they made a mistake. Everyone in the stands knows they made a mistake. Millions of people watching knows they made a mistake. The last thing they want to hear when it's your job is, hey, dude, like catch the football or, or look for the football. And so, you know, most quarterbacks kind of take it almost as a privilege to sit there and say, hey, I could be better. I can do better. Because that helps take some of the blame off of that guy, and they're only going to play for you harder. You know, they're only going to love you more as a quarterback when you share in the blame, you talk about those sorts of things, how, how you can be better. And because the reality is there's a lot of plays that add up to the end result in the game. And even though that one particular play ended up changing the outcome, there's definitely plays throughout the course of the game that you're going to point to and say, yeah, this, this could have made a difference here or this could have made a difference there in the outcome of the game. Both teams are going to be saying that. And so that's the hard thing is we all know that, but quarterbacks have the privilege of being the ones that kind of get to shoulder some of the blame, even when it's not on their shoulders, and unfortunately take the blame when it's also not on them either. I think the story should be about the Packers today, but when the Packers are doing well and Aaron Rodgers is doing well, it doesn't seem to be a story. We keep waiting for more drama with Aaron Rodgers, and it's just not there. They're a good team. They did it without their two best receivers, two of their starting offensive linemen. They ran the ball. Randall Cobb, who Rodgers wanted, they went and brought him in, had a couple of touchdown receptions. But it should this be about Green Bay today, or should it be more about is Arizona who we thought they were? Yeah, I, I think that's the conversation. I mean, heck, you know, we do the show before you guys for our Fox affiliates, and that was what we ended up leading off with. And I think that's because of how the game ended, where Arizona had that game in their hands. They're at home on a short week. They're undefeated. They're number one in the playoff picture before the NFC. And that was what this really was about now. Now Green Bay's in the driver's seat. You know, they're the ones that hold that one-game advantage, even though they have the same record at this point. And I think when you look at the past years, Arizona's gotten off to some pretty good starts. And you can even go back to some of Cliff Kingsbury's college years being a head coach, where they've gotten off to good starts at Texas Tech and then started to fizzle as the year went on. And I think that's the concern, and that's the reservations that I've had, is the ability to make those adjustments in the second half of the season, uh, to be able to be the team that I think they're hoping they are at this point. And now they've got to do that, presumably without J.J. Watt, who I think would have made a difference you know, in stopping the Packers' rushing attack last night. And they've got to do it with Kyler Murray, who you know, maybe he's got a banged-up ankle injury now moving forward, but uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is dealing with a hamstring injury. Like the, the injuries aren't necessarily mounting up. It's just that point in the season where everyone's dealing with it. And, and can they sustain, can they overcome you know, dealing with that? Because in past years, that hasn't been the case. So I think what, we've, what we saw last night was the Packers being the Packers with Aaron Rodgers. Even though the odds are stacked against them, they still overcome. They find ways of winning in a variety of ways. We've known that about them for a while. It's just about can they get back to another Super Bowl. For the Cardinals, we're still asking the question, are they a playoff team? Has Cliff Kingsbury, has Steve Kimes, this, you know, this team taken that next step? And obviously last night was not a step in that direction. How rough was this past week for the Chiefs? It was rough, but at the same time, 
you know, I, I think they're going to be able to just clean up some things and, and move forward. I mean, defensively, they can't play much worse. Um, offensively, I, I really do truly believe if they just can find ways of not turning over the football, and it's not all on Patrick Mahomes, you know, you, you saw plenty of issues uh, with their offensive line play last week. I mean, that always flies under the radar, but that group struggled mightily. I mean, there was constant pressure on Patrick Mahomes, and it gets to the point where he starts leaving clean pockets because he's got that internal clock in his head thinking that he needs to get outside the pocket to create something. And this year, unfortunately, he hasn't been great when he has left the pocket. So all those things are kind of piling up on one another. I just think if they can calm down, stop turning the football over, the defense will eventually improve. If you can make the case they improved a little bit last week. I mean, Derrick Henry didn't have 100 yards rushing, which I think is an accomplishment nowadays in the NFL, given the, the streak he's on. So I think if they could just you know, make some subtle and little improvements along the way, this is still like if I'm, if I'm their sports book, I don't know what the odds are for them to win the AFC West. I'm still putting money on, on the Chiefs. It's just hard to ever count that team out right now. And it's a no-win situation on Monday night. They're supposed to beat the Giants. The question is, by how much? And you don't get style right. points in the NFL like you do in college. But if this is a close game, Giants somehow stay in it. You know, I think that we're going to have, you know, those standalone games, Brady, that's where everybody has an opinion about everybody or anybody. And that might be one of those that even if the Chiefs win, are they going to win ugly against a team like the Giants? And it's a legitimate question, but in the locker room right now, especially the way the season's gone for the Chiefs, they could care less by how much they win by. They could care less. I mean, they're just trying to get a win, right? They've lost two of their last three, and they feel like if they can get a win on Monday Night Football, remember, they got a short week the following week, and they've got to take on the Green Bay Packers, uh, who will be well-rested, and, and, and that's always going to be a tough battle. So uh, they're just looking for a win. They're looking for momentum. They're looking to make improvements, and that's all they're focused on. You know, I mean, and, and I know it's hard to believe that players and coaches you know, actually have blinders on, and they're not looking ahead to the Green Bay game. Because some people can make this look like a trap game, right? You hear that phrase sometimes. The Chiefs are in no position to overlook anyone the way they've played the last few weeks. So I think because of that, they'll find a way of coming out in prime time, putting on a show, and then try to build some momentum on the short week to take on the Packers. It appears as if Baker Mayfield is going to play this weekend against the Steelers. Does that make sense? I mean, we love the hero and the guy who's injured, and he's going to try to limp onto the field here, or in this case with a bad shoulder. Is this smart? I mean, I think if he feels like he you know, can go out there and play at a level higher than Case Keenum or the coaching staff feels like he provides something more than a healthy Case Keenum versus a less than 100% Baker Mayfield, uh, then sure. But I think with probably what he saw uh, with when Case Keenum went there on Thursday Night Football a week ago is – you know, hey, other people can operate within the system and, and look pretty good. It's not like Case had to light the world on fire, but Baker hasn't done that either. And so given the circumstances of where he's at with contract negotiations, <laughs> given probably some of the talk that's out there after that, like, I, I think he wants to prove to the organization and team that he can see this thing through and, and, and he can be the quarterback that they're hoping he will be. And he can't do that on the bench. So uh, I think that has to play a portion in his head in everything that's going on away from the field and in those contract negotiations is he's got to be able to be out there and prove it if he's going to get the contract that he desires. 
you uh, on Fox will have Michigan, Michigan State coming up this weekend. We we haven't talked too much about Jim Harbaugh. You know, I, you know, it's one of those. We'll wait till you show us. This is a big game for. How big is this game for Michigan? You can make the case this will be you know maybe his first signature win since he's taken over at Michigan. I mean, he's he's facing an in-state rival, one that at times has gotten the best of him. And it will be by far their toughest challenge this year. I mean, they've only beaten one team with a winning record, and that was Western Michigan, not even a, a Power 5 team. Mm-hmm. So they've got to do that on the road in a nasty environment. I mean, you and I have talked about how nasty that environment is. And, and you know, I, I've, I've got extra security here in East Lansing uh, walking <laughs> around just because of how nasty it is. And I don't think many of the fans here – uh, at Michigan State appreciated me giving some of their secrets away of how they go about mooning their opponents. But I digress. <laughs> um, look, this would be a signature win, I, I think, for Jim Harbaugh. And, and really, I think more importantly, building momentum towards like what they need to be and the formula they need to have in order to beat Ohio State. Because that's – look, I know Ohio State lost to Oregon. If those two teams played right now, I think Ohio State wipes the math with them. Uh, but even further from that, it's it's more about, like, can you beat the champ to be the champ? Ohio State's the standard. And so Michigan's still working towards that right now. This would be a step in that direction. Yeah, they've got Penn State in two weeks and then Ohio State in four weeks. Speaking of Ohio State, big, big favorites against Penn State. Do you think James Franklin can actually coach his way out of being a top candidate for USC or LSU? Maybe at USC. And, and the reason why I say that is because it's L.A. I mean, they listen to every little thing the media says and does, and they like the hot, flashy thing. And if he starts to not be that, I, I do wonder if, you know, potentially that would lead them to look elsewhere. And you've got an athletic director in Mike Bone who knows one of the other hot names or coaches out there in Luke Fickle, who, who I would imagine, you know, since that is going to go undefeated, the rest of the way playing their schedule. They only got one ranked opponent left, and that's SMU. And so I think if, if you're looking at USC and, and if you look at the track record of how they've gone about hiring coaches, you know, I think they've you know, kind of relied on either trying to be USC guys or they kind of want that hot name. And the truth is that's not always what's best for your program. So we'll see how this plays out for James Franklin. That spread's big, and i got to be honest with you, I, I think Penn State can keep it close. I don't think they win this game, but I think they can keep this thing close within that number. But I, I do wonder what that'll do in the minds of many of those, you know, deep pocketed boosters out there who are largely going to be helping to make this decision at USC because they seem to, to listen to a lot of what's out there more so than maybe an LSU or somewhere else. Why do you think Mike Tomlin was offended that his name was brought up? You know, granted, Carson Palmer said to me sort of a wild card name, but it was a wish list there. But like Mike Tomlin took it as a slight. Why? I mean, he's he's been one of the more successful, underrated head coaches in the NFL over the past, what, 14 years he's been there now. I mean, he hasn't had a losing season. He's won a Super Bowl. I mean, it's it's ridiculous when you think about it. And I think it's even more ridiculous when you think about him leaving the NFL level to go to Southern Cal, which, you know, obviously needs a complete rebuild. And you've got to recruit, which is like a, a completely separate job as it is. And he's not one of the better jobs in professional sports, definitely in the NFL, with as patient as that organization has been and as, with as consistent as they've been. They've had three head coaches in 50 years. 
Yeah. Why would he leave that? I mean, I, I think there's a lot of things besides his success uh, and what he's been able to accomplish there, uh, the job that he's currently in, and then kind of just thinking, well, how does that make sense? You know, it's, 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 again, it's almost like, you know, a lot of people are dating on these, like, social media apps, right? And, and then so maybe there's a lot of people who, who like Mike Tomlin's profile, but he's not liking a back or he's not swiping right or left or however that works. You know, he's good where he's at. Like he doesn't, he doesn't need, he doesn't need to go to Southern yeah, California. But, 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 but Brady, it's a wish list. It's, it's not like he was entertaining it or reached out or third party. And, and it's not like USC was reaching out. Carson Palmer just said, Hey, got a lot of names on there and you know, a wild card. Mike Tomlin, and that's all. Like it's just, hey, I, we we'd love to have Mike Tomlin, uh, and he should take it as that. You know, that's a compliment that that they you, they would want to have somebody of his stature. Yeah, well, maybe he's he's that girl at the bar that you go up and compliment. They don't want to hear it. You know, they, they don't want that. They're not going to take the compliment. You know, they, they oh, I know like that. I, I know that feeling quite well. You don't. <laughs> I do. Okay. Yeah. I mean, do we need to go back to your University of Dayton days and talk about some of this? I mean, what all transpired there, Dan? Dude, I had no game whatsoever. Absolutely zero. So well, I, I had a wish list, I, but, you know, yeah. nobody had me on their wish list. Let's put it that way. You have a lot more game than, than the young uh, men today, the Generation Zers that are just texting they can't even talk to someone. They'll text from across the room. I'm not <laughs> sure what that's about. But um, no, I can see your point of – you know, maybe how he went about, you know, handling it and, and saying that, yeah, it, it was a compliment. I appreciate it, but I have no interest whatsoever. But, but I think he's trying to bring to light the fact that, like, hey, his name should be mentioned more with the likes of the great head coaches in the NFL in a, you know, Sean Payton, in an Andy Reid. Like, he's got a Super Bowl. Yeah, but, but when, Clay Hel- when Clay Hilton was fired, people asked Pete Carroll if he was interested in coming back to USC. So it, but that makes sense, right? Because he had been there, he had success there. I mean, we haven't seen a but Super he's Bowl. He's won a Super Bowl. He's a Super Bowl winning right. head coach. I can't. Sure, he didn't but, get offended by it. Well, no, because he's been there before. By the way, maybe he does want to take that job now, <laughs> the way he's going to Seattle. But we haven't seen a, a a head coach who went to the NFL, won a Super Bowl or more, for that matter, and then went down to the college level again since what Bill Walsh. And he took like a four-year hiatus. Yeah. So I, I just, I just think it was really more of a statement. I think in my mind, in how good of a coach Mike Tomlin's been, and the fact that hey, you're not asking these other great coaches in the NFL if they want to go back to college, you know, in Andy Reid and Sean Payton. Like I took it more as that, like hey, like kind of get my name out of your mouth for some of these college jobs. Like that's beneath me. I'm one of the best to do it. Like I think you have to admit, does he not have a Hall of Fame resume? Yeah. 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 I think he's a Hall of Famer right now. I mean, his his career mirrors Bill Cower and Bill Cower is a Hall of Famer. Um, hey, have fun this weekend. Play nice, by the way, in East Lansing. And uh, you can see Brady with the uh, Fox Big Noon kickoff. It's Michigan and hey, Michigan State. Yes, buddy. Just wanted to say congratulations on getting inducted into the Radio Hall of Fame. Yeah, that's special stuff. Uh, you're my favorite. I'm not just saying that because you have me on or or the show before you guys. I've always loved listening to you and learning from you. So uh, just, you know, congratulations. You could have led the segment with that, Brady. Didn't have to wait till the very end. No, I figured I'd wait because, you know, at that point, you know, I didn't want to, like, butter you up. I wanted to try to get through the segment and then see where it goes, and then we could say it there at the closing remarks, you know. 
Apology accepted, Brady. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, bud. Thanks, Dan. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com. And within the iHeartRadio app, search FSR to listen live. Hey, it's me, Rob Parker. Check out my weekly MLB podcast, Inside the Parker, for 22 minutes of piping hot baseball talk featuring the biggest names and newsmakers in the sport. Whether you believe in analytics or the eye test, we've got all the bases covered. New episodes drop every Thursday, so do yourself a favor and listen to Inside the Parker with Rob Parker on the iHeartRadio app or wherever you get your podcast. Let me bring in Vince Vaughn. Thank, thank you, Will. Thank you. Uh, is that acting, Vince, or do you think Will Ferrell really felt that way last night? Well, I just love that he made it about you last night. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty I emotional. He just sort of the fo- the focus the focus was you in that in that in that speech, and he just really shined those high beams on you. <laughs> and and he actually would tilt his his camera down, and then he splashed water on his eyes, and then put his camera back up on him to make it seem like he was crying. So really emotional. Well, there night could here. have been real. There could have been real emotion there because it is a moving it is a moving moment. And I remember when there, the people did just this. People were, were dying early on. When have you? When's the last time you cried in a movie? The last time I cried in a movie was the uh, Snow Block ninety nine. I think was the last time I cried in a movie. The one I did uh, with Zoller. What's the there process? Was emotion that, there was some emotion that ran deep. There might have been a little bit of emotion, but not full crying in the freaky movie, uh, the uh, horror comedy that I did. There's a touch of emotion. I don't know if it was a full-on cry, but Brawl would have been the last one. And how about you? When was the last time on year that the, the moment of vulnerability <laughs> struck? Uh, it, it's been a little while, but it happens a lot more often than you would probably think. I, I'm, I'm horrible. I, I get, you know, it's one of those where you get to a point and then there's no turning back and then you just, I just let it go. So it, it's happened a couple of times and usually for, you know, stupid reasons. Uh, but yeah. I think that's a compliment. I don't, I don't think there's a, I think sometimes that's a, that's appropriate and that's a nice thing. Yeah. That's, you don't go to, I don't think you go to the Hall of Fame unless you can access that true <laughs> genuine vulnerability. You know what I mean? Is there is there I a Hall of Fame? Be, I think you've got to be able to be present in the moment. How was last night? Did you have fun? Yeah, but I almost cried twice. That's good. You were emotion. It's been a long journey, and that's a nice compliment to, to be awarded and to be thought of that way. I think it's the first of many Hall of Fames that are coming for you. Is there a Hall of Fame for actors? Well, they have a museum now. But uh, the Academy opened up a museum recently. But I don't think that there's a Hall of Fame as such. I mean, there's awards and things like that. But no, there's no there's no Hall of Fame. But there's a Hall of Fame for, for Eastern Kentucky basketball. <laughs> I'm not right? going into that one. <laughs> no? No, no, not at all. I, I got no shot. Uh, you were probably a better actor in Rudy than I was a basketball player at Eastern Kentucky. Well, that's a high bar. I mean, yes. I mean, I know Rudy was that's, that's a pinnacle moment. So if that's what you want to measure yourself against, then I guess that makes sense because that's why you're a Hall of Famer. You hold yourself to the platinum standard. I get it. <laughs> Did you keep anything from that movie? Your Letterman jacket from Rudy? 
you know, I'm not great at picking up, of keeping stuff. As I got older, I kept some things, but um, I don't think I kept anything from there. I did not keep the Letterman's jacket, no. But uh, you know, it was amazing. I, the one, the, one of the great things I remember from Rudy was they let us on the sideline for that great game. It was the last time that Notre Dame played Penn State in Paterno, and Notre Dame scored. And then they went for a two-point conversion. Lou Holtz was the coach, and they got, and they went ahead. And then there was a 15-yard penalty because the film people ran out on the field with excitement. <laughs> a lot of the film people, like, were on the field and stepped on the field, like, no understanding of how it all works. But just felt the excitement in the stadium. A lot of the film people did, and there was a 15-yard penalty that almost cost the outcome of that pivotal last last rivalry between those two teams. And that was uh, my thing that I took. That's what I took with me. 1993? Yeah, it was right around then. That's right. Very good. But you did you have Very any good. idea that that movie was going to be any... I mean, not that you had status at that point, but still, like, are you looking around going, is anybody going to believe this or buy into this? You know, it was so crazy because the director and the writer were the, the, the people that did, that did the Hoosiers, and I was a fan of that movie, so I think that gave you a certain level of confidence that this was a uh, you know they were quality, and it was that was a great sports movie. But it was a it was a strange story. You know, it was an odd story to be telling. Um, but I don't know that you really evaluated at that point. For me, I was so young and just happy to be in a movie and doing stuff and working. I wasn't really handicapping how how well it would necessarily do as much as we were. I was just sort of thrilled to be participating in. It. Now that the Cubs have won the World Series, is your is your being you know a sh- you know Chicago uh, sports fan is it is it over for you as far as your fandom because you've had your Bears and you had the Blackhawks you had the Bulls Cubs win White Sox have won it's over right well I mean it definitely makes it it's nice that it happened you know that was of all of them that was the longest and the most you know, questionable. But I think the fun thing with the Chicago sports outside of the Bulls, a little bit the Blackhawks with the three in a row was for sure. But those 85 Bears and the personality of them and the way that they did it was such an impact. We didn't go on to win four or three or two. There could have been a dynasty there. I mean, there was such great players involved. We did go to a bunch of NFC, a couple of NFC championships after that. But that team was so spectacular. And when you're younger, and that's your childhood team, you just couldn't ask for a more exciting group of personalities, more dominant, just unbelievable storylines. So, no, I'd love to see the Bears continue to win, but that was such a unique Super Bowl. You know, that, that one team was so impactful. And, then, of course, the dynasty, which we have with the Bulls, you know, you still talk about that. That's still a measuring stick. And I like how Jordan sort of made that the measuring stick, that record, versus the conversation being him in an era and how do you compare people from era to era. Yeah. But that, that record and that team, you know, that was threatened, obviously, by Golden State, who lost to, to LeBron. But that that became, when he said, I know the best team of all time. So there's been, you know, th- those 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 are unbelievable teams to cheer for. But I think you always want to see the team succeed and to win. But, 
It definitely, uh, especially with the Cubs finally doing it, it was almost like you couldn't believe that it was happening. Do the Bears anger you? Or they hurt yes. you? Uh, I think as a kid you were angered by it. You know, you, you know, Buddy Leaves, those two together were terrific. And Buddy Leaves, the organization. And then, you know, we lost a lot of the guys that were there. Richard Dent went on to San Francisco. Leslie Frazier, who's a you know terrific coach now, but was a free safety. He was an all-pro that year. He, he hurt his knee in the, in the Super Bowl in a game that was obviously out of hand. But we just didn't hold on to the personnel. You know, we didn't – it felt like it was there, and then we just didn't hold on. We were close a couple of times afterwards. But you would have loved to see Buddy stay. Um you know, for another year or two and hold on to a lot of those guys and make a run. They have the pieces to do it. You know, it's funny. You look at, uh, you look at Jimmy Johnson with the Cowboys and, uh, you know, just what a heck of a team they had. And then Jimmy goes on to Florida to the Dolphins. And, yeah, they, they win another one in Dallas with Switzer, who, you know, gets credit for that obviously, and great college coach as well. But, you know, I wonder how much Jimmy felt, well, him and Jerry got to a point where they couldn't work together. I wonder how much he felt, I'll just go do this again in Miami, not realizing just how challenging that is. And he got to the playoffs in Miami and he did well. But I wonder what that Cowboys team could have done if they would have been able to to stay together. And, I mean, could that have been like what the Patriots are today? Yeah. If they would have stayed together. And, you know, you, you, I think the Bears, when you look at it, Buddy was a terrific coach and wanted his chance. I, I don't know that they, all of them at that time, I think like any success, they probably all felt uh, that they contributed a lot and could replicate it. He's Vince Vaughn, actor, filmmaker, joining us, Dan Patrick Show. Were you up for the uh, Chandler Bing, Bing uh, role on Friends? You know, it's funny. I really wasn't any more than any young actor was. I think that show became so famous. When you were a kid, you got a call for an audition. You were thrilled. So I think I went to an early audition. But I don't believe I made it past a casting director on that. So, yes, I, I, I think I remember vaguely reading for it. But it was nothing that was serious or close. But I, years later, they always talk about different actors that were considered for different parts. And that one gets brought up. But... Hmm. But no, not. I mean, I, I I believe that I did audition for it, but it was one of those, you know, early things, and no one knew who I was, and nothing that was that was down to the wire. And, and why everybody? We always want a sequel, and sequels to me are dangerous, especially when it's comedies, like old school. Mm-hmm. How often are you asked about you're going to do a sequel to old school? <laughs> yeah, I think. Yeah, we've been asked about that one. Crashers, we, we, we've talked about it. We're close. But, you know, the one thing I'll say is sometimes a movie works and they, they think that the economics are there and they kind of throw together another one because, you know, why not? But they do that more than have an original story for it. So, you know, we, we did, there was a good script to old school that Todd had developed years ago that but just the timing wasn't right at that time. I think I was, I, I, my timing wasn't good. And then later on, Todd was, uh, timing wasn't good. So it's nice, I think, if people remember the movie fondly. But it, it's always good if you have a, an idea that stands on its own that really kind of 
makes sense versus just rushing into it, especially comedies. If you look, Dan, I challenge you with, there's not many great comedy sequels. What would yeah. you would what would you suggest as a great sequel to comedies? Could you name Could you name three? Uh, well, of course, the movies I was in, Grown Ups and Grown Ups Two, with Adam Sandler. You know, obviously that comes. Yeah, to mind. yeah. The Sandman, The Sandman, definitely. Uh, Christmas Vacation. Yeah, that's a great one. In fact, you get a few out of those. Right, there's a couple that work. So wait, Wedding Crashers That's Two exactly is in right. is in play. Wedding Crashers Two is coming to a theater. We were talking about it. The timing didn't work out this time. We were actually going to maybe shoot it this year, and the scheduling just didn't work out. But um, yeah, that one has come close a few times. It may it may end up landing there at some point. All right. Well, it's kind of interesting there. Uh, better better stories yeah. come from old school or Wedding Crashers. From the set. Yeah. Both. They both had good stories. Like what? For fun. Like what? Anything? You no. Know, behind the scenes. Anything? Behind the scenes. Yeah. Um. Well, I remember I had a. I rented a house when I was in uh, uh, in Maryland, in uh, on the Eastern Shore. We were outside of D.C. filming uh, Wedding Crashers, and. Um, we would have I would have some of the cast over and people would hang out on the on the weekends and and that sort of thing. And uh, Christopher came, Walken came to hang out, and uh, he was lovely. I really enjoyed Walken, and he played the father um, in the movie. And Carol O'Donnell, who I like quite a bit, actor, he played uh, the brother Todd. Yes. Uh, in the movie. Yeah. And uh, two things I remember is, one, like as a bonding thing, he would, he would he, he had a car that, and the driver, he would go to to Kira and, and ask him if he would like a ride to the set. And so Kira would oblige. And they would sit in the car, but they wouldn't really talk. He would just sit in the car with Kira, they'd sit in the back, and the driver would drive them to the set and back from the set. And Kira would sit with him, but they wouldn't really have a conversation. And Walken believed this to be probably some good uh, preparation for the scenes as father and son, that there's some sort of connection, but not comfortable. But Walken would come, Walken came to the house, and I just remember there was jet skis, and people were jet skiing, and it was fun, and, and I was encouraging Chris to, to, to participate, but he didn't swim. He wasn't a swimmer. And so we put a life jacket on him. And we put him on a jet ski and from behind, and he was holding the, holding someone on a jet ski to take him out. And I just remember him pulling away, continuing to, to let us know as if we hadn't heard him or it needed to be said again that he just can't swim. It was almost like that old SNL skit with the uh, synchronized swimming with a, I think it was Martin Short, kept saying, I'm not a strong swimmer. And he just continued to say, I, I don't swim. In like a lot of different ways, I can't swim. I'm not a swimmer. I don't swim. He must have said it seven or eight times as he was on the back, and they were getting ruffled. I was like, "That's fine, you know, Chris. You have a life jacket on, and you don't need to swim. You're going to be okay. We're not. He's not going to go that fast. Okay, but I don't. I don't swim. I understand. I understand you don't swim. And so they took him out, and he twirled around, <laughs> holding the waist as he was kind of given a nice cruise 
and he, he came back safely without a spill, so all, all went well. Wouldn't you love to have video of that? I have it in my yeah. I guess so. It was just it was just his hair was immaculate. He just got immaculate hair. He looked terrific. He's a really funny guy, terrific guy. But I just remember that was so, so interesting to me that he made the decision to go on the back of the jet ski. It was a, it was a quite of a convincing. And some for some reason it became important. He wasn't sure, and it became important to all involved that he that he enjoyed the afternoon as a passenger. On a jet ski, and eventually the the pros added up, and he agreed. Somehow the skill tipped him, Chris, and he decided that that would be a nice a nice option, albeit making everyone you know perfectly aware that swimming was something that would not be possible if it was called upon. <laughs> um, I uh, my guys told me about North Hollywood, and uh, yeah. you're the dad. Like you're playing dad roles, and uh, my guys really liked it. I like that director, uh, Mikey Alfred. I was not a skateboarder growing up. Uh, I grew up like yourself in the Midwest. It was flat and cold. Skateboarding wasn't popular. But the young director came to me with this movie and sort of about his growing up. He was a skateboarder growing up. And he's got a whole, there's a whole thing with it. And he's terrific. His name is Mikey Alfred. And I just really liked him, and I'm really glad that I did the movie, but I like him quite a bit. And it was, you know, it's nice to see young filmmakers with a story that are wanting to tell a, a story. I mean, it was sort of how we started at a younger age with Swingers. So I always am excited for people that are, you know, write something that are young and want to get something made and have that sort of drive. And, you know, he had, he had done a lot of different things. You know, starting with doing skateboard videos and, and things of that nature. So he's a very talented filmmaker. It's great to talk to you. Hopefully we'll uh, we'll cross paths uh, soon. But thanks again for uh, joining us, Vince. Well, congratulations. I'm happy for you. And enjoy Chicago. Thank you, bud. I'll talk to you soon, Hall of Famer. Be well. All righty. Be sure to catch the live edition of the Dan Patrick Show weekdays at 9 a.m. Eastern, 6 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Tom Waddle's here, the former Bears wide receiver, and he's a co-host of uh, Waddle and Sylvie on ESPN 1000 here in Chicago. If somebody described your personality as like a suction. Excuse me? Exactly. What? Yeah. Todd, read the, read the first line. Of... Can I say no when, when <laughs> Paul or Todd reached out to me and said, hey, can you come in this morning? Can I say no? <laughs> you could have said no. Okay. So, Todd, read it to uh, Waddle here. Your engaging personality is like suction. Can I continue? So yeah, go ahead. Yeah, so we can hear the full limerick. So tonight, we make a production. You've conquered the medium with zest. Your mic now stands with the all-time best. Congratulations on Radio Hall of Fame induction. Okay. Well, first of all, congratulations. Oh, thank you. I mean, very, very, thank very you. well deserved. Thank it's you. it's overdue, by the way, as well. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Read me the first line again. <laughs> your engaging personality is like suction. Okay, so like, I'm assuming that means that you're, I don't know, you're drawing out... My laughter, my appreciation. The, the listeners, the viewers, they're drawn to yeah. Dan Patrick, and they and once they're drawn to him, they're stuck. They want to just stay with him and follow him and tune into him forever. Is what it's meant to be. I'm thinking <laughs> toilet problems, to be honest with you. When you say that, I'm thinking like I got a backed up toilet yeah. or a sump pump yeah. or I got some issues. I could see that now. It wasn't clear who wrote to me. that. 
Todd did. That was oh, jeez. <laughs> You've got a personality like a plunger. <laughs> what? <laughs> I can't believe how you guys, including Mr. Waddles, twisted well, Okay, this okay. You got uh, 35 minutes. Write another limerick, uh, I'm okay? I'm working on it. Okay. All right, all right. And you went into the uh, Chicago Sports Hall of Fame last night. Well, you know, boy, that's, that's somebody with a Rolodex is just spinning it, you know? And, like, he, no, uh, next. No. Uh, I retired in 95. But do you think they went all the way through the alphabet and no got question. to W and they got uh, I, I Waddle? I don't know if they went through the alphabet. I just think they went through a list of people that were worthy of the honor, and they got to me when everyone else said no. But, so. Was Curtis Conway not available? I don't think he was. No. <laughs> Curtis Granderson was there, though. Okay. So I was in good company. A.J. Pruszynski was there. Uh, I mean, Candace Parker was honor, honored. Uh, Ned Coletti from the Dodgers. And there's me. Okay. So what... I had to tell you know, a funny story about the measly six years I played in the NFL and was on the practice squad for two of those wait, years. Wait, wait, wait. You got into the Chicago Hall of Fame? Chicago Sportsland Hall of Fame or Chicagoland Sports Hall of Fame. I guess. And and you only played four years? In... Six. Well, no, you were on a roster for okay, six. Okay, well, I'm technically still in the NFL, Dan. Okay. Those two years on the practice so squad. four years you go into the Chicago Sportsland Hall of Fame? I'll leave. Right now. I got to believe that it has no, to, had, you know, radio host as well. Yeah, I, I had the Very popular. I had the opportunity to segue from a, a measly NFL career into 25-plus years mm -hmm. doing this. Awesome. You know? your, your NFL highlight, though, if you were going to describe it to the audience that maybe didn't get to see those Chicago Bears. Day. One game or one in, uh, incident? One moment. One moment. Like the moment where you go, yep. Uh, 1991 opening game against the Minnesota Vikings. Like I had toiled on the practice squad for two years, my first two years. Um, and by toiled, I mean I practiced every day against and with my teammates. They beat the crap out of me. They played on Sunday, and I was in street clothes. That's that was life on the practice squad. Uh, finally, in 1991, I got an opportunity to play, not because Ditka trusted me, but because we didn't have any healthy bodies. So, opening game of the season against the Vikings. Um, and this is a true story. It's part of the story I told last night. You know, that game I really wasn't supposed to play. The only reason I was in uniform is because we only had three three healthy receivers. And then another guy got hurt. So, like, halfway through the first quarter, I hear this screech. Ditka's like, waddle. And I come running over. I'm like, oh, hell, he caught me. I wasn't paying attention. And I go, yes, coach. He goes, this is a true story. He goes, you got to go in. And I looked at him, and I swear to you, Dan, I said, why? <laughs> and he says, because Anthony Morgan's coming off the field. I don't have anybody else. Get out there and don't try to jump too high or run too fast or do anything <laughs> athletic because you can't do any of that stuff. Don't screw up. And, like, I'm running out on the field looking back at him. Like, what was that? <laughs> Great motivation. Yeah, I, and I think one of the first plays I was in on, and I walked into the huddle, and Jim Harbaugh was my quarterback. And Jim and I, you know, he believed in me because he saw what I was doing in you know, practice the first two years. And, and I thought we had a good rapport. And I think when Jim saw me coming in the huddle, he was like, what are you doing here? <laughs> and I think we had like a third and eight, and I converted, you know. And Todd Scott, who was a cornerback for the Vikings, who, you know, subsequently, very shortly after that, was moved from corner to safety, uh, was standing over me just saying things like I was, I was blushing. I was like, I'd never heard things like this. <laughs> And was just berating me, and I slipped him, and and I converted a third and eight to a first down. And then later, I would say the most defining moment of my career, um, at the end of the first half, 
Uh, we ran a, uh, with, I mean, with the receivers we had, I don't know why the call was that, but we ran an all-go route. And Jim Harbaugh hit me on a 37-yard touchdown pass. I'd land it, bounced into the end zone, touchdown. And this is funny, too. When I, my guys are coming over to celebrate with me, and this is the greatest moment of my life. I mean, I had done nothing in the NFL until really this moment. I kind of puked a little bit on my face mask because when I landed, <laughs> my elbows went into my stomach. So this is like the greatest moment of my, my football career at any, at any stage. And I got a little vomit on my face mask and everyone's like coming over to hug me and then running for the sideline because <laughs> I smelled like barf. But that was it, you know, and then that kind of was the springboard for what ended up being a, you know, a mediocre six year career. Listen, I, I am fiercely proud of what I was able to do i you know i was too small i ran a 479 and a 482 40 yard dash at the indianapolis combine you know i i think it was like the fifth leading receiver in college football my senior year i went on draft in 12 rounds i we think rich laughed. eisen runs a faster 40 he does than, than he you does do. <laughs> absolutely so that was probably the defining moment but you know i had a in the at the end of the 91 season we played in the post we played in the postseason to, against the Cowboys and lost. Um, but I had like nine catches for a hundred and some yards right. and, and a touchdown. I, I got knocked out in that game twice. I spent the night in the hospital that night because of a concussion. So I don't even remember. This is the funny Wait, part. Did you have two concussions? Oh, I had many concussions. No, in the same game. Uh, I hit my head early in the game and was kind of out of it. And then I had one later when, uh, 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 it was Billy Bates. Remember Billy Bates? He, you know, Tennessee uh, defensive and, back. Uh, he, and he was the cowboy safety. Yeah. And I ran a little in rot and he hit me and I was just like blacked out. But then I went back in because in those days, this is 91. Like this was the test. How many fingers am I holding up? And if you could get within two, <laughs> like if they, you, he held up four and you said, Two, you're in. <laughs> like if he held up four and you said one, you you had to sit. Like if you could get within two of the right answer, you went in. And I went back in. I don't remember. I only had nine touchdowns in my career. I had ten counting the one in, in against Dallas in the playoffs, but I don't even remember it. I don't even remember it. So that's the extent of my career, All Dan. Right. And that's how you get into the Chicago Land yeah. Sports Hall of Fame. Everyone else says no. <laughs> Tom says yes. Uh, I wanted to ask you, being a former wide receiver with A.J. Green last night, with that play where you get to the line of scrimmage, and it felt like he either missed yeah. the, the check, uh, the audible, or, like, how does that go wrong in a moment like that? Well, I can't. Uh, you know, obviously, that that's a situation where A.J. Green's new to the team, and, and I, I know we're into week seven or week eight, so that should all be cleaned up. Uh, but... Yeah, that's an inexcusable mistake that is made between quarterback and wide receiver. And my assumption would be it was more A.J. Green than it was Kyler Murray. So, um, you know, every one of these plays is important, especially at that moment. So A.J. Green obviously, because he looked like he was blocking. I don't yeah. know what he was doing. Yes. So. But I wonder, though, you get to the line of scrimmage, is it a look? Is it a hand signal? You have is to it... come out of the huddle with the the thought that it's at least a possibility that he's coming to you. Yeah. And to think that, you know, he wasn't running. Or it's not like he ran a slant and they were looking to throw a back shoulder fade. I don't know what was going on. There was a, I, I just don't know how you break the huddle and not know that it's a pass. So yeah. I don't know. I mean, it's it's one of those. Yeah, I would. I tend to focus on what the Packers did, and and my goodness, I mean, that's such a sign of of good coaching. 
And I know he's got Aaron Rodgers, which makes Matt LaFour's job so easy. But you're without your top three receivers. You're without Bakhtiari. You're without your starting yeah. center. Defensively, you're without two of your, your cornerbacks. You're without Zadarius Smith, your pass rusher. And you find a way to make the adjustments that are necessary to go on the road on a short week and beat a team that's 7-0. and uh, It's a tip of the cap to that entire organization. I keep saying, if why would Aaron Rodgers want to leave this division? Because you 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 got Detroit, there's two. You yeah. got the Bears, there's two. You probably split with the Vikings. Yeah. So you got five wins right away. And like, why would he want to leave to go to another division? I would think that, and I've started to believe that that it's more likely that there's a chance he's here in 2022 as well. I mean, I know his contract, I believe, with the Packers goes through 2022. I'm with you. I don't, and I think that that finally maybe. What he's wanted to see, he's starting to see. I think the input is there. You're starting to see them, whether it's Randall Cobb or Whitney Merciless. I think it was just added to the roster. I think they're listening to him, and I think they should. Like I don't think Aaron Rodgers should have final say. Yeah. But when you have one of the top five quarterbacks in the history of the game, and he has thoughts, you should listen to him. Yeah, but this is what I when when first of all you. You got to be careful giving them too much. No doubt. Because if I say to you, I'm going to let you weigh in on personnel decisions. You want to bring in Randall Cobb. I want you to tell that receiver right there who's going to lose his job. That's part of my job in management. That's fair. I'm going to bring in somebody. You go tell that guy. He just got cut. Something tells me Aaron would have no problem with doing he might. that. Yeah. <laughs> just that personality. He's, he's ruthless. Yeah. He, he's ruthless. But do you... Listen, I think it's a fine line. Like, I wouldn't give anybody final say uh, on personnel decisions as a player. I'm just saying the voice should be heard. And obviously, he didn't feel like his voice was being was being heard. So, um, again, he's got a job. He does it as well as anybody I've I, I've ever seen, maybe outside of, of Brady and a few others. Um, but, yeah, I, I think his voice is heard, but I don't think you give him final say. I, and, but again, going back to the thought that, and this pains me to say as a, as a Bears fan and somebody who loves the team, I don't want to see him anymore. Like when he taunted the fans that taunted him, first, my thought was, I'm not mad at you, man. You, you're right. You have owned us. And I've always said, if, if a fan is booing a player and the player boos back, you know, don't get red assed at the player. Yeah. Like, I mean, he has every right to boo you back. So why, why, do, why were people upset that? Like, if people are flipping off Rodgers, like, I own you, I still own you. Okay. I mean, he didn't need to say it but because it's obvious, but it was a pretty cool moment, I thought. That's a a very benign taunt from my perspective. It really (laughs) is. Like, he could have done some other things that he didn't do. I wasn't mad at him. You know, look, I'm mad at my own organization. Like, I'm mad that we don't compete consistently with the Green Bay Packers. I'm mad that... They go from Brett Favre to Aaron Rodgers, and I swear to you, Jordan Love is going to be great. <laughs> I swear to you that, like, I've never seen the kid take a snap in practice. You can't sell me on him being crappy because I'm just scarred. Unless he went to the Bears, then he Ruined. probably he Ruined. wouldn't be good. Ruined. Okay, what, what's the what's the level of morale with Justin Fields? I think everybody's still very excited and hopeful. Um, I mean, this is this is a a. This is a, a failure of epic proportions in terms of what's going on with their offense. Like they're averaging 254 yards overall and 124 passing yards and 14.4 points per game on offense. You have to try to be that bad in 2021 in the NFL. I mean, it's hard to be yeah. that bad. You know, I'm, 
it's it's alumni weekend here for all the Bears people, so I'm sure the front office and everyone else will be happy that I'm taking the flamethrower out. I'm hitting everybody with it now, but the general manager's been there for seven years, and he's neglected the offensive line for the most part. The coach has been here for four years and was brought here to revolutionize the offense and develop quarterbacks, and they've ranked bottom five pretty much in every meaningful statistical category on offense. Did they draft Justin Fields to save their jobs? This is what's so twisted to me. I think if you have any doubt, if you're the ownership, you don't give these guys a second opportunity. Like if you, and you knew that they were going to, to focus on a quarterback. But if you have any doubts about whether or not the coach can de- develop a quarterback and the GM can identify one, why are you giving them a second opportunity here? Yeah. And that's why I've always felt like there was more job security with both the GM and the and the coach than everyone else thought. I don't know why you would give the same group that has proven to you in the past that they weren't able to do what they were hired to do, and you've given them another opportunity. Um, there's no doubt there is job security that's attached with a rookie quarterback. Problem now is is that you haven't been able to protect him. The scheme is, you know, they finally modified the scheme. What they did to that kid in Cleveland in week three, they threw him down a flight of steps with what they were trying to do. They had five-man protections trying to keep Miles Garrett and Jadavian Clowney and others away from him. I mean, it was criminal. Now, they made some adjustments, but they can't protect him. And he's a kid that that I think he's he's tremendously talented, but he's coming from a system in Ohio State where he dropped seven steps. He'd sit back in the pocket and he'd wait for his receivers to develop routes down the field. Like it takes four or five seconds for that to happen. Then he dropped dimes on guys. You don't have four or five seconds in the NFL. You gotta throw people open. You do. And it's it's something that I think he's he's learning to do. And now what the problem here in Chicago is they're forced to run a, sh- a you know a quick passing game because they can't protect mm. like second play of the game they had against the the bucks they had like an eight man protection they got eight guys to block five he got sacked in 2 <laughs> seconds like how does that happen <laughs> like but then he's also got to learn to get rid of the ball and read things and as you say throw some you know he's got to make throws with anticipation he's just at this point they're fighting against different things i i don't know how they you know, they fix this short term. I still think the kid can be a dynamic quarterback, but right now there's so many things working against them offensively. I find it interesting, the criticism of Patrick Mahomes, as if he forgot how to play football. But it almost feels like he needs to change his approach to what he does because he's not a – it's almost like he's too confident. Like yeah. he shouldn't be this confident. He should be a little more cautious in what he – is trying to accomplish. Tyree Kill's not going to beat somebody deep with these defenses. Right. Um, you know, Kelsey is going to be, you know, kept in check the best part. Sure. But you got to keep scoring because that defense is so bad. It's almost as if 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 he could have maybe some ball control drives, keep the defense off the field. Yeah. And you know, maybe your best defense is your offense there, not trying to outscore people, but maybe taking time off the clock so your defense when they are on the field maybe it's a little fresher yeah no doubt and listen uh, um Andy Reid if you're listening right now if you've grown tired of Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs <laughs> are tired of some of the turnovers call me like I can facilitate you a trade him. Bears could have had uh, him you know what Dan stopped I, I know that that's that's infuriating as well but I'm with you I, I think 
He has been so great. And uh, has... Andy Reid is here. Oh, there's Andy. Andy, would you like to trade him? <laughs> we'll take him. We'll stop asking him to throw 50 times a game behind a porous offensive line. Yeah, play some defense. Yeah. No, they... anyway, but like, I, the one criticism I would have is, is, and he hasn't had to worry about ball security because he's been able to do all these crazy things and it's always gone. I'll just focus a little bit more on not making, you know, that desperation throw as you're going to the ground and because you're not always going to hit those things. So, but look, I, they'll be fine. Their defense is awful, but, but Patrick Mahomes is going to be just fine. He's a Hall of Famer. Yes, I am. Chicago Hall of Fame. Yeah. It's all right. It's Hall of Fame. How many Hall of Fames are you in now? You've got to be in like 10. No. I'm in Sportscasting Hall of Fame and then uh, Radio Hall of Fame. All right. I'm in three. Uh, High School Hall of Fame. Oh, well, that's three. Yeah. Now we're tied. But we grew up not too far from each other. I grew up in Sharonville, Ohio. Went to Moeller High School. And I went... I'm from Mason. Yeah. Yeah. Mason. Yeah. My parents lived in uh, Westchester before they moved to Tennessee. Nice area. And you went to Dayton, right? Yeah. Yeah. Good Midwestern guys. Yes, I am. Corn-fed, good looks. Yes. I think you and I should be in the ruggedly handsome Hall of Fame as well. <laughs> Do they have that? You know what? I'm going into the suction Hall of Fame. That is awfully gross. Yes. I'm going. Um, hey, Todd? Yes. You got the limerick? I do. I'm not going to subject Waddle to this, though. We'll, we'll, we'll take a break and uh, tell Sylvia I, I, I said hello. I will. Uh, he's Tom Waddle, former Bears receiver and uh, co-host of Waddle and Sylvia on ESPN 1000 Chicago. Great to see you, buddy. Good to see you.